Good morning. Go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 7. Mark, chapter 7, starting a whole new chapter uh, in our, this morning. You know, these last couple of months, we've really been seeing the, the power of Jesus that's being demonstrated. And, and we've just seen it in so many wonderful ways. Jesus, he stops a storm by merely rebuking it. Jesus, he, he, he heals a man who's been tortured by these demons. He, he heals or cures, rather, a woman with an incurable disease, right? He raises a little girl from the dead. He, he took just a few loaves of fish, loaves and fishes, and, and, and he feeds a multitude. And then he walked on water. Suddenly, though, we come to chapter 7, and we're just thrust into this religious debate. And it's, we've now moved to these scribes and these Pharisees who have come to see Jesus. And they want to trap him. They want to stop Jesus' mission. And it's a Jewish debate, which is why Mark, who writes to Gentiles, does a lot of explanation in here. Because otherwise... They wouldn't have understood, those first readers, nor would we if we didn't really look at it for the way it is. But evidently it's important for us to know because Mark puts it here and he wants us to hear these explanations and to see some. In fact, it is the most um, uh, conflict speech that we find in all of the Gospel of Mark. So it, there must be something here uh, non-Jews are supposed to understand. So let's, let's just move into this thing and let's read the first five verses together. And it says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? The Jews had two kinds of laws, and that, that's what Mark is trying to impress upon them. They had what's known as the written law, and, and this is the first five books of the Old Testament. That's where their, their laws primarily came from, okay? And then they had these things called oral laws, which are these interpretations of those written laws. It's almost like it's a running commentary. It's really what it was about. So this is what, this is how you follow this, is kind of the, the idea that's behind it. And we need to understand that, that what's happening here is, is not unusual. It's happening in our culture. It happens in our churches. It happens in our government. It happens everywhere you go, where there are laws, or we might even say we have a constitution, and then we have legislation based upon the constitution. Does that make sense? 
Uh, so we find these things in, in all kinds of air avenues of life. Uh, I, I think a good way to explain it, first thing I thought about when I was studying this is baseball. Because in baseball, there's, there's written laws, which over here on the left-hand side, on both screens, uh, we have the official rules of Major League Baseball. And the commissioner of Major League Baseball, and he has a committee, and every year they sit down, and, and very rarely do they, they do too much to those, those laws that they have set there. But this is, these are the laws, these are the rules for Major League Baseball, okay? And it's in this big book. But then baseball has these things called unwritten rules. And if you follow baseball at all, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and the book you see on the right-hand side, this is a book that this guy wrote, and he's just trying to put in there all these different unwritten rules of baseball. Folks, there's, this is made up of about 200 pages. Okay, so the Major League Baseball, the commissioner, he enforces the laws of the rule book. But then these unwritten rules is not something the commissioner worries too much about. But they are enforced by the players and the managers because this is the way it's supposed to be. And these unwritten rules have been around really since the 19th century, since the very outset of baseball. And they have grown and they have evolved and everything else. Let me give you an example of some of the unwritten rules that you won't find in Major League Baseball manual. One of those is do not bunt to break up a no-hitter. Okay. You know, you're getting down to the ninth inning and, there's, and this guy, is, he's been trudging away and... And, and instead of bunting it, trying to get a, a cheap little base hit on this guy, because none of your team can hit him, you know, it's, it's considered, about, that's, that's going to get you a baseball in your ribs. Uh, another one is, do not admire a home run when you hit it. That's the other thing. If you sit there and admire a home run, just know there's, there's probably going to be repercussions by the players or the managers. Okay? In other words, there's a fight. And then there's another one, it's called, it's, it's do not steal bases if your team is up by a large margin. So here you are, you're in the ninth inning, and your team is up by ten runs, and, and yet you're trying to steal bases. That's, that's just considered classless, or in baseball we call that bush league, okay? So these are not in the rule book, but these are unwritten rules. And you hear about these all the time. And, and there's, just, there's just a lot uh, of craziness. So the Pharisees, they had hundreds of of these unwritten rules and and like those baseball players they felt like the Pharisees anyway they felt like it was their duty to enforce them the rabbis are the ones who wrote them over the centuries uh, but the Pharisees felt like at that time of Jesus that they were the ones who need to make sure that these things were done now we need to understand these have been around for like 200 years by the time of Jesus and, and we need to understand, and in class, we really hit that a, a lot harder. We talked about why they came about. It came in between the Testaments, between the Old and New Testaments. And there was Babylonian captivity. And they were not following the written laws of God. They, they were doing things that, that God absolutely had told them they are, are, are to, or not to do and everything else. So what do you think happens when they, this is terrible, awful um, this, they're conquered, they're sent into exile and everything else. So naturally, they want to follow God's law. And they, and they become really strict. Really strict because they knew they messed up big time. And they are suffering for it. And, and so most of the laws 
the, what they call the Torah, those first five books of the Bible, most of those laws are about living in the land. Most of those laws are about, you know, the Levitical sacrifices and priests and the temple or the tabernacle. And guess what? Those things are gone. It's been destroyed. It's no longer their land. Many of them, they're carted off into other places. So it's like, what do we do now? How do we live pure and clean, ritually right before God? And that's what this whole thing uh, came about. So washing hands was seen as this cleansing ritual that was done so that someone could be pure, could be holy, set apart before God even though only the priests in the written law of God were the ones who were ever told to wash their hands. But remember, they're in a, a new and difficult time. And, and they're just trying to figure out what it is they need to do. And, and so the text is not about Jesus being against traditions. We need to understand that. And we don't, we don't leave this passage and we come out and say, well, all traditions are wrong. Traditions are good. The problem is when those traditions begin to, to become loopholes for things that God has told us. The problem is when, when we begin to look at our traditions and what we consider as holy, even though it's not written in the Bible, but we've kind of made some kind of application off of it, or someone else maybe 200 years before, and so we now take that as the most important thing rather than just really what is God saying? What is the real intent of what he's trying to show us? The Jewish nation needed the written law, but they also needed application to that law. I've already mentioned the Constitution. We need the Constitution, but what does that mean to have freedom of speech? What is the legislation that comes off of that? There's nothing wrong with that legislation. The problem is when legislation begins to alter the Constitution itself. You see that? And that's what we're talking about with, these, with this law of God. And so some were more devoted to these, these oral laws than they were to the written law of God. And it's the same that we can be stuck in. We can be more, more tied into our traditions and tied into these things that have just been passed down over the last 200 years than we can to what is it that God's really saying. One person put it this way, and I like this. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. The blue crab. I remember one year being in Gulf Shores when I was a kid, and, and every couple, I think once a year maybe, these blue crabs just come up on the shore. Uh, and, and they just come out, of, I mean, it's, it's amazing. But something about these blue crabs is they have to change their shell over so often. They have to climb out of that shell so that they can grow another one and it will be bigger and it will be uh, help them into rejuvenating life. Now while they're outside of that original shell they're vulnerable but it's important because if they stay in that original shell too long it becomes too hard and rigid and, and they, they won't be able to escape and, and literally their, their shell becomes their coffin. Okay, So it's very important and, and that's the way we see our traditions. 
that with our traditions, uh, we, when, we, when there are things that, that, that are different than our traditions, then we feel very vulnerable. We feel very uncomfortable. But it's important that we continue to grow, okay? And, and we need to continue to grow in our faith. And if we become too rigid and we become, you know, so much into these into our own verbal laws over the years, then we become hard-shelled or hard-hearted. And many of the Jewish traditions were hindering God's will, and it was absolutely suffocating faith. And that's why Jesus addresses these things. All right, so we're not finished. Jesus' turn, verse 6. So they ask, you know, why are your disciples not washing hands? And so he said to them in verse 6, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of your hypocrites, of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Notice how Jesus has changed commandment uh, or the traditions of the elders to the uh, to tradition of men and he said to them you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition for Moses said honor your father and mother and whatever whoever reviles father and mother must surely die but you say if a man tells his father or his mother uh, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban now notice he explains it, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things that you do. So their traditions sound noble, um, but what he's saying is, it's what they're doing here, it's not coming from the heart. They're just simply going about these rituals they're going about these things and he says because of that you're just like the people in Isaiah's day he says your worship is vain and isn't it interesting what he refers to vain worship vain worship is something that we have created ourselves vain worship is something that we have taken God's Word and then we have added our own laws to that word to say this is what is or what isn't and it's really interesting because we can have a lot of rules about worship, and yet, if you read your Bible, there's just not a lot that's said about worship. And so it's, it's really interesting. So Jesus, he illustrates here. Now, you remember, you remember the Ten Commandments, right? So there's these Ten Commandments. Jesus refers to one of those Ten Commandments. He refers to the one about honoring your father and your mother. It comes right out of... Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, probably most of you have heard this before. It is from the written law of God. It means more than, okay, I'm respecting my mom and dad. It means that I'm caring for them. I'm caring for their needs. The things that, um, you know, when they get older and things like that. The problem is that the oral law had this thing called Corbin. That's a strange word. It is. It was strange to these Gentiles reading it for the first time, which is why he explains it, because it's a Hebrew word. And, and it, it means devoted things. Let me, let me illustrate to you what we're talking about here, these devoted things. So let's just say that you are going to, you know, you put in your will 
that you are giving this piece of property or whatever it may be to um, this charity when you die. Now, you can enjoy it while you live on earth, um, but when you die, you know that that is going to be uh, possibly even sold and that money is going to this particular charity or to the church or whatever it is, okay? You've dedicated that certain thing. That's kind of what Corbin was. And what they did was they took these dedicated things and they used it as a loophole to get out of following the written law. So what they would say is, all right, so I have this property. Uh, I could sell it and help my parents because they are in dire need. But they would say, well, I can't do that because I've already dedicated it to God. And therefore, if I were to give any of that to you, then, you know, that would just be a sin against God. You see what they're doing. And Jesus says, notice here, he says, you do this with many things. He's just saying, here's the sample. This is just a sampling of what you have, you have done. And so some of the, the Pharisees were using this uh, in, a, in really an impure way. But listen, here's what happens. Jesus isn't finished. And he, he's not content with just talking about things uh, such as washing your hands. So he keeps going. Verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? It's like I said in Bible class, uh, yeah. <laughs> They're always without understanding. He says, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declares, All foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of a man's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. So Jesus, all of a sudden, he takes us a little further. He reminds them of what happens when people eat food. <laughs> and it's rather crude for us. He says, when you eat food, you eat it, it's digested, and then it, it comes out. Poop. Maybe the only time I can say that in, in here. But that's, what, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. And, and, and the reason, and we need to listen to why background is important, because he's, he's doing something against, he's saying something about something they believed in the oral law. It's actually in the Mishnah, one of their oral laws, which is that it, someone was not considered impure who went to the bathroom. Is that better? Now, he's using this against them because he's saying, look, why would you say these foods are unclean that go into them, but you say they're not unclean when they come out? They're nasty, but they said, but according to the Mishnah, they're not, doesn't make someone impure. You see this. 
And, and he's using this um, against them. And so uncleanness and defilement, he says, it comes from one's intention. It comes from the heart of the person. It doesn't come from religious rituals. It doesn't come from religious rules. Mark is writing to a non-Jewish audience, okay? That's why he's doing so much of this explanation. And the time that the Gospel of Mark is going out, there was, this, there was a lot of debate that was going on uh, about Gentiles. Do, are they supposed to eat kosher, okay? And, and, and so here we see some of this. And less than a decade before that, by the way, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he wrote in Romans 14 and 15, he addressed this to the Christians in Rome, which is the likely place where Mark's gospel had been sent. And what he said, he, he addresses this issue of clean and unclean foods. And then Mark, he says, listen, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that all foods are clean. So ceremonially washing kosher foods, while they are important to an observant Jew, and we can even say important to a Messianic Jew, he says that's not what is required of Christians to those who are followers of Jesus. And Jesus is God. Jesus is the water walker. And he's making a declaration about something that is even written in the law, just as he had done earlier in chapter 2 about the Sabbath. And so Jesus isn't saying that it doesn't matter how we live our lives. Some people want to go to this and say, see, it doesn't matter how you live your life. No, it's wrong. You didn't read the whole thing. He says what really matters is not these outward things that you do. He said what's matter is what's going on inside of you. And he goes on and he talks about some of these evil acts of the heart. Sexual immorality, and that, that word in its Greek form, it, it means, you know, having sex out of wedlock. It, it's referring to adultery, which he also lists up there, talking about homosexuality. Anything that would be considered um, a sexual immorality. And also theft, and murder, and uh, coveting, and wickedness. And he, then he goes on, he talks about evil attitudes, okay? One or these, this other is acts, now he's talking about these attitudes that we can have. Deceit and sensuality and envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And, and so what Jesus is saying here is you can be so concerned about people washing their hands and eating certain foods, but you can be a person who slanders somebody else, who may envy what someone else may have, someone who covets, someone who may steal things, even though it's small things, but you know, as long as we're following our rituals, then I'm a good person. So hypocrites, he says, hypocrites, they fool themselves into thinking they have done all that God requires. And they end up with a religion that touches the heart, I mean touches the hands, but it does not touch the heart. Goodness comes from inner purity. It does not come from rules or even doctrine. 
there is an inner part of what God is doing in our lives. This attitude reached an extreme in the Qumran community. And in the Qumran community, they had people who did these washings and cleansings and, and you know, all this kind of things that we were talking about. But they didn't just see it as being separate from the non-Jews and pagans. They even saw this as a means of being separated from other Jewish groups, such as the Pharisees and the Sadducees and even the Jerusalem, uh, uh, Jerusalem temple. The Pharisees were the second strictest, but they had become so rigid that they no longer even saw their own countrymen as their own brethren. But can we do the same thing? Groups that maybe they're not quite as pure as we are. Those who, who don't keep the unwritten laws like we do. Folks, we're supposed to climb inside of this text and, and we're supposed to be transformed by it. We're, we're, listen, we're supposed to be challenged. You know, Peyton prayed this morning about God just challenges. Listen, this is it. It's easy to go to this text and you're thinking about everybody else. Listen, look at yourself. That's what Jesus is trying to do here. Look at yourself. Do you look at other churches and think, why do they do that? And you feel uncomfortable. You may even feel like it's irreverent. But the question isn't, why are they doing that in a disgusting way? But the real question is, is the reason I'm having this problem, is it because this is what God's word says or is this because it's my tradition? It's hard to climb out of your shell. So we've got to guard against the trap of the Pharisees who drew a circle that was so narrow and so small that they cut off 99% of the human race. We've got to guard against becoming so focused on particulars, folks, that we ignore what Jesus refers to as the weightier matters of the law, which are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Can we strain at gnats? What matters is what comes from the inside. And here's what's the cool thing. Jesus goes and he's going to die and he's going to resurrect and he's going to ascend into heaven and then he sends his spirit to us. Sends his spirit to us. And, and those who are baptized, this is awesome. As we're baptized, the spirit of God comes in us. And we become the temple of the spirit of God. The Pharisees believed others would know that they are God's people by these outward things. Because they washed their hands. Because they only ate certain things. Or keeping the Sabbath. Or whatever it may be, but Paul understood it this way. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. Listen, these are the weightier matters. Righteousness and peace and joy, where? In the Holy Spirit. See that? 
we've sung this song, I think, in times past. I grew up singing this song, so I hope you know it. <laughs> listen, listen to these words, especially as we get to the end. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our, by our, Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our... Wow. We cannot be a church that's devoted to turning Christianity into a fortress that we keep the pure in and we keep the impure people out. We're meant to, to get involved in messy lives. Read your Gospels. Watch Jesus. Jesus had an impact on those early missionaries like Paul who said that look no food is unclean in itself he tells them stop judging each other stop being a, a, a stumbling block a hindrance in the ways of your fellow Christians your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ he says live in harmony with one another and he says, build each other up rather than building walls. There's a delicate balance, okay? We are to ident be identified as God's people. We are not to be like the world. But we are off balance when our boundaries become so tight that people no longer are seeing God. Our world, you see it every day in the news, our world, our country, in many, many places, they want to get rid of God. But we must be careful not to exclude the world from the love of God. They will know we are Christians by our love, not by our pettiness, not by outward things that we do, but who we are in the spirit of God that lives in us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day and we are just humbled before your feet. And Father, all of us, and this absolutely includes myself, Father, help us to truly see your word and to understand the intent that it was given. Help us to see something more than a rule. Help us to see your heart. And Father, may we exemplify these things in our lives as we share uh, Jesus in our lives and as Jesus is shared to us. Father, just continue to, to change us and to transform us in whatever way is necessary. Just, Father, help us to be humble enough to truly see ourselves. And so, Father, we just, we come this day and we pray for those who are struggling with this. We pray for those who, who just don't even know you and they're, they're looking. They're, they're looking at us 
and they're trying to figure out if there really is a God, Father, may your Son just absolutely flow through our hearts and our minds and our voices in our everyday activities. And Father, it's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we ask these things. Amen. And if we can help you in any way, we want to do that. Um, maybe it's something you struggle with. Maybe it's something on a personal level. That's okay. Uh, we, we'll, I'll be glad to talk with you afterwards. We have other people. If you know other Christians in here and you say, you know what, that's a person that I would like to talk to about. Do, do that. It's okay. There's nothing in here that says you have to talk to the preacher. Just let's open it up and let's just let's see what Jesus says. And then more importantly, let's, let's be Jesus. <laughs>